Welcome back to episode 10 of the Everyday Sentence Podcast. I'm Jack Richardson alongside Brennan Parks. And Brennan, today we have actual Sens news to talk about. They signed another player out of Europe, Nicholas Matenpalo. That's what we're going with. Again, we we were struggling with the pronunciation of a Smekal. Smekal. I'm still blanking on that until I hear it a couple times. I'll, I'll be good. But uh, they signed him out of the world. He's playing for Finland right now at the world. He's a right shot defenseman. 6-3-207. So, Brennan, how are you feeling about this news dropping uh, on, on this uh, Thursday? We're recording Thursday. This is coming out Friday for you. But, uh, yeah, so, so a, a depth, depth signing, as general manager Pierre Dorian put it. Yeah, well, first of all, I think we're all here sitting waiting for the ownership news. Like, we're that's kind of been delayed again. I mean, we're into the, almost the end of the week now. And, and P, I mean, Ian Mendez said it would come out today, he thought. But I think we're we're almost pushing it further back. So, well, we're all waiting on that. Uh, Pierre Dorian is busy watching the World Championship. I think he's there attending it live. Uh, and I guess he got a good look at uh, Matt and Paolo here, who he decided to sign, uh, who signed like right before they played Team Canada today. I mean, I, I guess it's up to the agent, but um, DJ Smith got a first look at him uh, playing against him and Canada bounced Finland. So Smith's going to give that to him a little bit in the room. But yeah, my initial thoughts are that this is good. It's just like uh, Schmeckal that they signed out of Czechia. I think it, it, like... It adds competition, right? That's the big thing, and, and nobody's gonna be upset if these guys don't make the team. I would say I think it, it you kind of come in with limited expectations, but it's the low risk, high reward signing, and those are the things that are going to be essential for the Sens and Pierre Dorian moving forward because it's cap effective, right? Like it's cost effective. You're saving money. You're only signing him to a nine hundred and fifty thousand dollar deal, and I think his cap it's actually lower than that too. Um, so at worst, like he goes to the AHL for the year, helps Belleville, right? And, and then that's it. Uh, and at best, he comes in, he's an NHL level defenseman like Artem Zub, and you end up getting a guy who can play. So there's just no risk to it. And I think signing guys like this, it, it's it's essential for the team moving forward. Yeah, and I wouldn't normally put, um, you, you know, the, the the height and the weight and everything, but it's it's important now because if anyone's watching this and you want to check out Artem Zub's listed height and listed weight, it is nearly identical. Uh, and even better, uh, Matt and Paolo said in, in a interview, I guess, I don't know if it was part of the press release or not. It was just in general, his play style kind of thing. But he is literally Zub, but finish uh, the way he was kind of talking. And I don't know if he'll be as, you know, memeable as, as Zub is. But uh, to me, it's 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 going to go into that. It's the battle for the sixth spot, right? Um, assuming Brandstrom is, is obviously going to be re-upped uh, and assuming everyone stays healthy enough for most of the season in that top four. This is for the sixth defense spot. It's a right shot, which is great because the Sens are short on those as is. They only have one under contract and now two um, with Artem Zub, who I mentioned as a very similar player, and now uh, Matt and Palo. So to me, I'm going to bring up JBD and Hamannick. Uh Obviously, Jacob Bernard Docker is, uh, I, I, I could be completely wrong. I think he's got one year left. Maybe he needs a new deal. Um, but the big thing about his contract, regardless, is that he's waiver eligible next season. So, meaning if they call him up and they don't want him to uh, be on there and they try and send him down, he can get taken for free, and that would obviously be a terribly wasted asset. So it's a you know it's kind of a situation uh, where 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 if he's up, then he's going to stay likely. So um, the flexibility that this signing now gives them is that Matt and Paolo can be put down on waivers, like you mentioned, and put down to Belleville. That's why I like it initially. Obviously, if you're watching on the YouTube, you see that prompt there that I've got JBD and Hamnet competition with a question mark. So I'll ask you, are you less, do you think it's less likely that they sign Hamnet or do you think it's more likely now maybe even to just get that competition even higher? 
Yeah, I think Hamannick's gone. I think they made that decision, though, at the year end. Like, I think this kind of shows us that he's gone, but Hamannick, I don't know. I mean, he said he wanted to come back. He said he liked it, so it's always tough when you have a player who, and especially given that it's Ottawa and it's been a struggle to keep players for a long time, you get a guy like Hamannick coming in. He's a great leader in the room. Sanderson obviously likes him as a person, maybe not as much as a partner, but... I'm just messing with you. I mean, Hamannick, I like to kind of bug him a bit because he's uh, he's kind of been the, the whipping boy a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to part with a guy who wants to be here and who, you know, he he spoke so highly about Sanderson, but he spoke highly about Ottawa. He spoke highly about the community and, and the locker room and the team. And then you don't resign him, right? It, it's bitter. But at the same time, like we're past the point of just wanting guys who are, are nice dudes and, and good characters. We need players who are good on the ice. And Hamannick, yeah, he did some good things. He did. He blocked a lot of shots. He played a penalty killing role. You know, he he was good defensively in a way, but he made a lot of mistakes too, and he didn't contribute enough, in my opinion, anyways, uh, on the defensive side of things. I don't think he's a good enough puck mover or skater at this point in his career. So as, as tough as that is to say, I think it is Hamannick's time to kind of maybe go find a, a rebuilding roster to join and serve as a depth guy and make his money and hit right into the sunset in retirement. But I think Ottawa here, it's just such a priority now to get good players, and, and you can't settle for average or below average anymore it's a matter of meeting expectations and he's just didn't really do that for me last year so what did you think of his performance last year though because I know some people are a lot higher than others and valued the assets that he did bring yeah I think I'm a bit higher on the season he had but I understand like you can certainly upgrade that spot and and for all we know this this signing could today could be an upgrade right um the, the thing for me is I think you go back to a year ago, Hamnett came in at the 2022 trade deadline, which was a, re- a weird move at the time because he would have been available in the summer. Um, but Dorian wanted to get him in Ottawa, get him acclimated, um, and honestly get him acclimated with Jake Sanderson because clearly that was the plan to play them together. Sanderson was up with uh, an injury, but he's still with the team, so they got at- they got uh, to know each other. Um, you know, I-, I think the fact that we're actually even having the discussion that he might be back, and it's not like a – Oh, if you bring him back, this team isn't serious kind of discussion. Like it's, it's worth having, it's worth, you know, discussing, can he play on that bottom pair? Um, and for what cost? he was making $3 million last year, he won't be signing for that this season. But I think with this signing of, of Matt and Paolo, I, I don't think he'll be back. I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I did like Hamannick towards the end of the year last year. Um, and I know that he's kind of a, a, a you know, he mushes, uh, Corsi, and he just shoots the puck all the time. And it's funny because you look at uh, even Jake Sanderson's um, Corsi 4, and it's just through the roof because he's playing with Hamannick. So every time he slides it over, that puck's going towards the net. And look, it might be a little, you know, people might roll their eyes on it, but it gets, it, you puck to the net, you can't score if you don't put the puck to the net. So he had Bothers a couple the of, hell out of me personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I know that it's it's not the the right philosophy sometimes, but again, like, I think that it's contagious for other defensemen who are, no offense to Travis Hamnick again, who are more skilled and can actually score from there, right? Um, so I, I I wouldn't be really disappointed if he was brought back. Um, like you said, he's a great guy in the locker room. Um, it's contagious as a fan when you have a player who's had some struggles, I guess, fitting in in other markets. Like he struggled a lot in Vancouver. Um I think I think as a fan, especially during the time that Ottawa was in, it's refreshing. Um, so for sure, he he deserves all that credit. But I'm I'm gonna say that they're not gonna bring him back for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, in Dorian's end of year press conference, he said we would offer him a one year deal. Um, I think honestly, Hamnick could probably get a two year deal somewhere. So you gotta think at this point in his career, he's gonna favor term over 
wherever, and they, unless he likes Ottawa that much. Um, and also in a interview uh, in Belleville, I believe. So he kind of Dorian kind of did too. And if people don't remember, he was talking about Jacob Bernard Docker, and he said it's his spot to lose next season. And like I said, the Sens have five other defensemen under team control that are going to make this team. So you've got to just assume if it's his spot to lose, JBD is going to make that team. Uh, and like I said, waiver eligible. So if he makes it, he'll be there. Uh, so to me, this is a competition signing for JBD. If you sign Hamannick, you can't really sell that as competition, especially if DJ Smith is back, because he'll probably play him in the lineup. Um, so I like the signing. I got no problem with it. Adding depth is not a bad thing. And like you said, it's cheap. Um, if it's this guy or Hamannick at 1.52 million, I'm taking this guy every day of the week. Yeah, and that last thing you said kind of irritates me on DJ Smith is that you know if you re-sign Hamannick, he's going to be in the lineup. And that is the issue right there with Coach DJ Smith is that, like, Hamannick, I would love to bring him back as, a, I mean, maybe not with Matt and Paolo here now, but I would have loved to bring him back as a seventh defenseman uh, just to have as an extra, right, if he's okay with that, which he probably would be. I mean, I don't think he's expecting to play a crazy role anymore in his career. Um, but just having him as an option, it's almost the Zaitsev effect with DJ Smith where he's, you know he's going to overplay him and overuse him because he did a lot of the season last season. I mean, he spent like over 700 minutes with Sanderson and they had a negative 10 goal differential and it just wasn't working. So for me, it's it sucks that you kind of have to work around the coach. It was almost the same with Zaitsev where Doria had to remove Zaitsev because he was basically DJ Smith's like favorite toy. Just kept putting him in even though it was not working and it was just, it's just confusing almost as to why that happens. But that's a different conversation. I will ask you before I move on to JBD a little bit, and I'm just going to touch on Matt and Paolo again because I just wrote an article and have some more info on him just about the actual player, but do you think Hamannick was worth the third round pick they traded for him at the 2022 deadline because there was a lot of outrage, including for myself, when that happened? I'm glad you asked that because I was going to bring up the same kind of kind of thing. Uh, I, I do think it was worth it. I think it was, absolutely. Um, I'm going to, like, before I kind of fully answer... Do you can you name a third round pick on the Sens right now? In the past, uh, a third round long? pick, eh? Oh, That's what I'm saying. So, like, I guess head, yeah. my point is, my point is, like, they don't. I think, I think a third round pick is right in between that um, value standpoint, right? When it's a fourth, you're kind of like you, you shrug it off and you, and you just don't really think about it. Second round pick holds a lot of value, but I think a third round is depending on the draft. Um, it can be very valuable. Like, I think in 2020. Uh, they obviously they got Marilina in the, in the third round. Um, and I think, I think it depends who you pick obviously. Right. And I'm not trying to like say that it's not a valuable pick at all, but I think it's absolutely worth it. If you get a year and a half essentially out of a guy who, yeah, he might've hurt you defensively and he might've not been a, a entirely positive impact on the ice. I think a, he was much better than was advertised. I think when, like you said, when he, that trade happened, it was, it was doomsday in Ottawa. It was terrible. Um, the sky was falling, and I think that what he showed last season um, is that he was much better than the standard we thought he was going to be at, if if that's, I guess, a fair way to put it. Um, so in my opinion, yeah, I think he was worth a third-round pick. Uh, but uh, saying that, I, I think, I'm not saying that Sanderson would have been fine without him this season, but he probably would have been, right? Like, he's he's an elite talent he's a franchise talent jake sanderson so um he didn't need travis hamnick but again like we don't know and 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 what what happened happened and off the ice especially on the ice just communication whatever it was uh travis hamnick helped jake sanderson and 
if in five years when this kid wins the Norris, I'm going to look back on this and say that was a worth the trade was worth it. If you told me I, I'd pay a third round pick for Jake Sanderson to get on the path to win a Norris Trophy, I'd take it in a heartbeat. So um, that's how I'm going to see it. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it though. Well, yeah. So I think Hamannick, like like I've said on the ice, I don't love what he did with Sanderson, but I think it's underrated because we don't really see it, which is part of why I like the idea of a documentary is that you don't really see what happens behind the scenes off the ice. Like you don't see how Sanderson's looking up to Hamannick off the ice, right? You don't see what they're saying in the locker room or on the bench, what Hamannick's saying to him. It's not just about the on ice impact. And like, again, if Sanderson ended up with a bad partner this year, I I mean, if they signed somebody else or brought somebody else in who wasn't a good fit and maybe wasn't a leader either, then Sanderson doesn't have that kind of off ice influence in Travis Hamannick. So I think that is underrated. And based on what we've heard from Sanderson and Hamannick, it seems like Hamannick was a really good influence on him off the ice. I'll just go through the last few third round picks for Ottawa. Uh, so I'll go back to 2012. So we've got 2012. Jared Maidens. Never heard of him in my life. Uh, 2014. Miles Gendron. Didn't work out. And then they didn't have a third for a while. Then you've got uh, 2020. Levi Marilainen. 2021. Oliver Johansson. 2022. Uh, Thomas Hamara. So none of those players are NHL players right now. Now I do like Marilainen and Hamara especially. I think those are two guys with a lot of potential. But at the end of the day, like the odds of them actually getting someone who's an NHLer like Travis Hamanick in the third round, it, it's fairly unlikely, all things considered. I mean, you never know, but like it, the odds aren't as big as people kind of make it out to be. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd say it's worth it just based on the impact he had on Sanderson and the fact that Ottawa had a lot of draft capital anyways, and they've got a lot of prospects in the system um, based on, on what, you know, what they gave up. But um, we can get into Bernard Docker a little bit too, I think. Like Dorian said, it, that was a pretty bold quote he said that it's Bernard Docker's spot to lose. I mean, I know he's he's got the he's not waiver eligible, but that's still a pretty bold claim to make. Um I did like Bernard Docker though last season when he played in the NHL. And I think he has passed Lassie Thompson on the death chart, which is a bit surprising to me, Thompson falling off, because admittedly I really like Thompson. Like he was higher than JBD for me on, on my prospect rankings not that long ago. I, I really thought he was gonna be kind of the future on on that right side and he just he took a big step back this year in Belleville whereas JBD stepped up and I think with Bernard Docker like he he's an average size he's kind of an average he's like he's average at everything he's not really good at one thing he's just kind of good at everything like he's he's just kind of average at everything so that's not a bad thing for a, a bottom four defenseman I mean he could play in that bottom pairing role and I mean he played what did he play he played 19 games last year he only got one assist but he averaged 16 minutes like he was pretty limited in the role he played, but I remember tweeting about him and saying, like, I'd be confident playing him more minutes and, and giving him a larger role because I think he looks good, right? He was by no means a burden out there on the ice. He he served his role well for me, and I thought his decision-making was good, and his skating was good, and, like, he wasn't behind the pace at the NHL level. So a lot of this comes down to training camp because it, it's just going to be a competition. Um, I've got a little list here. Like, we've got the top four is solidified. Shabbat, Chikorin, Sanderson, Zub. Whatever iteration that ends up being in, that is the top four, uh, if they're all healthy. Then you've got um, Bernard Docker. Now you've got Matt and Paulo. You've got Max Gwinnett, or Gannett on defense, on right defense. And then you've got Lassie Thompson. And then on the left side, you've got Brandstrom and Clevin. So you've got kind of six guys competing for two roles on the bottom pairing. And I mean... Like, if you had to predict right now, what do you think your bottom pairing is going to be? I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What do you think your bottom pairing is going to be entering next season? Eric Branstrom, Jacob Bernard Docker. It's his spot to lose. And I, I, I love this player. I think he's been one of my favorite prospects for a long time. Um, he's been off prospect for five years now. 
let's not forget he was he was taken in the same round as Brady Kachuk. Um, if if and that's crazy to think about, right? Because Kachuk stepped right into the NHL, um, becomes a superstar, and I, it's it's weird, right? Because usually if a prospect takes five years, you're like, okay, like clock's ticking here, buddy. Especially in the NHL now, uh, you know the league is young, um, so he's gonna be what twenty three. I just it's it's I, I say it's weird because he hasn't fallen off anyone's radar and like you mentioned Lassie Thompson he's struggled and Dorian mentioned that in an interview he said Lassie knows he can be better and I think that's the second year he said that um, and I know that for a long time or at least in the last couple of years prospect wise it's been uh, Bernard Docker versus Lassie Thompson and also Ridley Gregg versus Shane Pinto right just kind of like the guys that were coming up at the same time all drafted within three years all that. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of JBD. Like you said, I thought he played very well this season when he was up. Um, admittedly, I think I missed the one game where he didn't play very well. I know that it was like a, a, a pretty big deal, but um, I, I see him on that pairing with Eric Brandstrom and I like his style. I think him and I'm going to mention Tyler Clevin as well, because he'll push for a spot as well um, if they want to get crazy and just have five left shot defensemen. Um, but I think JBD and like I mentioned, Clevin are defensive defensemen who can move the puck. Um, and that's how you have to play in today's NHL. You have to be able to, if you're, if you're not going to be a power play guy or a point guy, you have to be able to defend properly and also move the puck. And, and the best way to defend is to have the puck in on your stick. Um, so I, I think, I think I I've been tab I've tabbed him as Thomas Shabbat's future partner for a long time now um, with trades that have happened. That's all, it's probably not going to be the case this season. Uh, but he's a guy who can do that. Like you said, he can step up and play bigger minutes if we need him to. But you mentioned he he averaged, what, 16 minutes this year, probably based on injuries when he was up. That's right in the sweet spot. That's probably what he's going to end up playing on a third pair. Um, penalty killing, no power play. Like I, I really like the idea of him with Eric Brandstrom. And um, it's not only that, he's a right shot. And I think that gives him and uh, Matt and Palo the, the edge over a guy like Clevin. Um, but you also mentioned, mentioned Max Gannett. 2019 sixth round pick i believe in the sixth round uh a dark horse seventh right round. and seventh round even even better i love seventh round stories um i think that depth chart wise he might have passed lassie thompson this season uh he got a call up at the end of the year and thompson didn't he got his game uh so i think that that kind of tells you everything you need to know i wouldn't be shocked if the Sens trade lassie thompson this season um, possibly. And I'll just, I'll touch on him because he is kind of linked with JVD. They've been, you know, neck and neck. I've always said for three seasons now that both of these guys won't be on the team at the same time. Uh, one of them is going to move on at, at some point and the chicken trade just, just solidified that. Uh, but I think Thompson, like I mentioned with JVD, he can play a defensive game and, or he, that is his game anyway with Thompson. He's an offensive defenseman and there's no room for that kind of player on the Sens right now. Um, they've got four offensive defensemen right now and one defensive defenseman. They need another one, right? So um, I don't think Thompson fits into that. I think he's smaller than JBD. Uh, uh, so that that would be, I guess, just my my take on on that spot. Uh, do you? I'm I'm gonna say you agree with me. Just I haven't watched Matt and Paolo enough. Maybe he comes in and beats out JBD, but um, right now I'm still I'm still on the Bernard Docker train. I would agree with you based on what Dorian said, especially, I think. Now, with Matt and Paolo, I can talk a little bit more about him because, yeah, I've got a free article up on everydaysense.com. Anybody can read it. Uh, I just kind of, like, I read a lot about him, and I, I watched his game today, which is obviously just one game. I didn't base a whole lot on that. But 
right away, I mean, he's a big guy. He stands out physically, uh, and he's a good skater, too. He's really, really smooth, and he's got a good stick. He negated a couple of two-on-one opportunities. Like, he just he has a good gap. So the problem with him is that he's never played on North American ice. He's always played on that bigger ice surface. And, like, this is a guy who nobody really knew before this season. He really broke out this season. He scored 16 points in 51 games, I believe, for his uh, finished team in the Liga. But before this, like, even... Even in Finland, like he was pretty unknown. He he never really was even expected to sign a contract in the Liga um, a few years ago, and then he did. Uh, his career's kind of been like hard work. Like I read some scouts and what they were saying about him, and it's been like he, he just grinded his way out of a junior B league and up into this this top men's league, and he served a first pairing role on his Liga team this year and was one of the better shutdown guys in the league. Like he, he's just a stay at home defenseman, like he said in his his quote. Um, and I can just read that, I guess. I, like, I would define myself as a basic defender. The most important thing for me in games is to take care of my own end first and only then look at the attacking end. My strengths are my grappling and skating, and I think that got lost in translation a bit because grappling is kind of a weird word for hockey, but uh, that was a, a Finnish interview he did that I found there a while ago. So um, I think he brings a lot of good things for a bottom-pairing defenseman because, generally speaking, you want, and this is why people don't love Brandstrom on the bottom pairing, is you want a bigger guy who is like really good in front of the net and good at boxing out. And like, I think of like an Eric Chernak, obviously he's in a bit of a bigger role for Tampa, but he's the kind of prototype you look for on the bottom pairing because your top four is going to be those more offensive guys. I think Matt and Paolo brings that, that kind of role. Now I have, again, I haven't watched him a whole lot, but what I've read from scouts is that he needs to round his game out a little bit more. Like he's not super well-rounded in, in which case I saw some people saying maybe he spends a year in Belleville and then he's more ready for an NHL role after that, kind of working in the organization. But regardless, it's just a camp body. That's what it is. It's a, and I don't just mean like he's just a camp body. I mean, it adds to the competition because I think we saw it with Zub. When Zub first came in, people forget he was scratched for the first, I don't know how long, but DJ scratched him and left him on the bench um, and ended up, you know, that defense was so bad that they ended up throwing him in. And guess what? Zub was really good and nobody expected it. Like nobody was really that upset at the time when he was scratched because it's like just some Russian free agent we signed who who God knows what he is and then he ended up being really good and I think the same could be true for Matt and Paolo I think I don't know people might get a little excited with the Zub comparisons but from everything I've read he had a really really good year this year in the Liga and that's not an easy league again we said this with uh, Schmeichel as well it's not an easy league like this is a very uh, a very challenging league considered to be the third or fourth hardest in the in the world so I think uh, I think this is a good signing, and I think it's low risk and it's high reward. So, um, will he make the Sens roster? Maybe. I mean, I think you'd have to do some pretty serious work to beat Bernard Docker out, just considering what Dorian said. Um, but yeah, I think it is like a six-man race right there, and I wouldn't be surprised if Gannett sees a lot of games next year. He was really, really good for Belleville last year, like really good. He, he's a dark horse, like long-term roster candidate for me. Yeah, and funny enough, he's the youngest out of all those guys. That being said, though, Matt and Paolo is 24. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's turning 25 this year, but that would put him at a year older than J- Jacob Bernard Docker, um, which he's is 25 in October. Okay, so a year and a half older, but like that's still pretty young. And and I think, you know, immediately in my head anyway, I was like, okay, they signed this guy playing in the Worlds over for Finland. I'm thinking he's closer to 30, um, but he gonna he's going to step in and be the same age as his core. Uh, so I think this is a tidy signing. I think either way you spin it. Um, I know I, I did see some people scratching their heads about it on, on Twitter. And we mentioned this with, uh, with Smekal as well. Like, how can you not, how can, I don't understand how you can not agree with signings like this. It's free. It's literally free. Um, and you're getting free agents to come over. 
Uh, we talk a lot about the pro scouting. Uh, I would say that the Russian scouting is has done a good job, right? They were in on Kuzmenko, who ended up choosing Vancouver. And look at him. He put up 40 goals, for God's sake. Like, they know what they're doing, those European scouts for the Sens. So, um, really, really nothing nothing but good things to say about a signing like this, especially now, uh, you know, in, in May. And I know Dorian's out there scouting, and uh, maybe he's the best pro scout the Sens have. Who knows? Uh, but that being said, it, it is going to be just about competition. And uh, I think in the past, we'd roll our eyes at that kind of and and say, you know, it's it's a rebuild, let the young guys play. But like I mentioned, JBD isn't really a young guy anymore. He's 23. Um, that's no longer prospect territory. That's that's earn your stripes kind of thing. And um, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I actually have interviewed J, uh, JBD over back at Future Sickos a couple seasons ago, maybe. Um, one of the only kind of player interviews I've done, which which was awesome. And like, uh, he, he was very nice, good with his time and everything. And um, I don't get the sense that he'd be a guy who gets frustrated with not getting an opportunity. That's just the way I, I saw, you know, that conversation and everything. And um, yeah, maybe a little bit if if all his uh, North Dakota teammates are up with the Sens, especially Clevin. Um, but I, I have full confidence that JB is going to have a good summer and he's going to be fighting for that spot in camp. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess let's talk about Brandstrom because you mentioned the playoffs, the size. Um, I think I've never really, we've never really actually talked about playoff Brandstrom. Um, I, I, I have my doubts size wise, but it's, it's I'm going to explain. It's not about the physicality. It's about the officials. And I think Brandstrom this season gets called, got called for a lot of stick penalties. Um, a, because he needs to rely on a stick to box out. Uh, and I think he's pretty good at it, actually, boxing out. Like, he's underrated in that part of the game. The reason I mentioned the officials is because when, you're, when you've when you got your stick out, you're more susceptible to penalties, right? Um, I know their size is different, but if you watch Jake Sanderson defend and then watch Branstrom, San, Branstrom's always got two hands on the stick, right? And that's going to lead to some infractions or stuff that looks like infractions. Um, and Sanderson is always, I find, one hand on the stick. He's just got an active, like like a sweeping motion almost. Um, it's just a different way to defend. So anyway, my point is, when it gets more physical in the playoffs and Branstrom needs to step up his physicality, um, and especially in front of the net and stuff like that, I think you might see him get caught a lot with stick penalties. Um, because, and we will talk about it in a bit, but if you looked at game four last night for the Florida Panthers, that call late in the third period, I mean, they don't call that all the time. And it's it's obviously, I man, when the, when the Sens get in the playoffs eventually and we just get to like, you know, go at the refs for terrible calls. I'm excited uh, because I'm, I'm jealous of all the discourse these fans get because every round the losing team gets screwed by the refs. That's just the way the league is. But anyway, I'm just mentioning that because I think biases, whatever it is, like refs are going to call brands for more often. And I think he's very aware of that. Um, so I, that, that'll be my only playoff concern. I'm not concerned about, the size and him getting over overmatched physically. It's more just about the, the, the optics of it and how the refs are going to call it. And I think it might end up costing them playoff time. But again, you know, we're both on the same page. We got to get there first. And like I mentioned, Florida Panthers, pretty good example of that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is, is it's fun to talk about the Brandstrom thing. And, and people are like very heated about this on Twitter with no, get rid of Brandstrom. Cause he's not going to be good in the playoffs, but yeah, like I just, I come back to, I mean, I've always been a, a supporter of, of Brandstrom, but I come back to the fact that, yeah, you got to get to the playoffs and I think he's going to help you get there. Like again, with the fact too, that, and I think a lot of the more casual fans, not to like 
call anybody out, but I think a lot of the more casual fans fail to recognize how Brandstrom got a lot better defensively this year. Like, he was not this liability defensively like a lot of people seem to think. I mean, that's kind of the consensus with him because in years past, he wasn't as good defensively. He came in as an offensive defenseman when they acquired him, and he just never really hit his potential and his ceiling in that sense. But he adjusted his game this past year to be more defensive. Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith told him he needed to work on the defensive zone side of things to earn a full-time role. It's exactly what he did, and he earned a full-time role. Like, he was really good defensively. So, like you said, I think he is better at boxing out. I think a big part of his game is possession and being able to retrieve the puck and then make a quick decision and, and like, a little finesse decision to uh, go tape to tape and break out all of a sudden, right? Um, the playoff thing, he certainly does have to clean up the penalties. He, I, I'm not sure what the number is, but he was probably among the leaders for Ottawa for penalties. He got a lot of stick infractions. Um Again, though, I mean, I, I want to see more of Brandstrom. And like I said, I'd be okay with signing him to term because, yeah, you have to get to the playoffs. But this guy, like, he improved a lot last season. And I think he's going to take another step this season because that's generally how the development of a young player works is they take steps forward until they're in their prime. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about Brandstrom. I have, like, little worry about his playoff performance. I'm kind of on the, the opposite side of things with that conversation just because uh, I don't really care until we make the playoffs and he struggles. If we make the playoffs this year and he is a liability in the playoffs, then we can talk about maybe getting rid of him, replacing him with Clevin, whatever it is. But for now, I'm saying he's the best option and he's going to make the team better than uh, than a lot of the other defensemen are that are in this race. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I completely agree. And and like I mentioned, it's about getting there. And it's about, um, for, for this path that the core is on, it's about getting into the playoffs. That in itself is going to be a massive feat. Um, and then once we're there, we will evaluate who to keep and who, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to make a lot of, I think we both are, we're going to make a lot of comparisons to the New Jersey Devils this summer. Um, I know we've kind of talked about them being a good blueprint, you know, like very young core. And then they, I mean, they had the biggest jump in, in um, season to season point totals in NHL history. The Sens don't need to do that because they improved again this season, but, I think that's a fair standard to hold the Sens to, right? Um, the Devils did the absolute like opposite of what the Sens do, and they had a, a blistering November. They were the best team in the league. Uh, and and I, I think that – anyway, my point is I think that the Devils had a decent playoff run this season, and I don't know if anyone on in New Jersey is pointing out players on the roster being like, this guy can't play, except for maybe Jesper Bratt, who admittedly, again, is another undersized player. But that's – Again, that's kind of where the comparisons end to me. I think I think once the Sens make it in, then we can have this discussion more seriously. Um, okay, so I mentioned we were going to talk about the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, we, we we've almost not talked about them at all. I feel like we we we've mentioned them uh, because they were playing the Bruins and they were playing the Leafs, and we were talking about that. Um, they're hot and they're on a roll, uh, but but they were tied with the Sens on March third, um, which was the NHL trade deadline. That was about 20 games to go. Uh, they were tied with the Sens, and the Sens actually had two games in hand at the time. And then, obviously, history is history, and uh, the Panthers were one of the best teams in the league in March, and they made the playoffs on a, on a you know, a, a lucky break, I guess, because Pittsburgh lost to Chicago, all that. Um, what do you make of Matthew Kachuk? I know you were tweeting that Brady Kachuk needs to um, – or not needs to, but he will get fired up because of this. Uh, it's just the storylines are, are all over the place and the sense tie into it because, you know, that's his brother and it's the captain of the team who leads by example, who drags people into the fight and he's watching his brother 
go and be a Conn Smythe candidate. So um, it's really impressive, but what, what do you make of the Panthers run? And then just how do you kind of see it in the sense context? Uh, I'm sort of irritated by it because I was really hard on the Panther fans when there was like this brief Twitter drama between Sens and Panthers fans and I was fairly involved in it and I, I told them like they'd be golfing soon too and uh, that didn't end so well for me but um, it's just it's it's kind of exciting though even though they're a division rival just because it shows you and I tweeted this as well it's it exhibits that anything can happen when you get into the playoffs like it's just a matter of getting in and then literally anything can happen. Bobrovsky is playing a huge role, like Conn Smythe level role, where he's <laughs> he's gotten really hot. The funny thing about Bobrovsky, though, is he wasn't even their starter going into the playoffs. That's the most insane part of this storyline is, is Alex Lyon, this random, I don't even know where in God's name this guy came from, but he was he basically led them to the playoffs with this insane run, and then Bobrovsky just like took his role in the playoffs. It's ridiculous how you have two goalies do this, and so that's a little bit, I guess, not easily comparable, because where are you going to get two goalies to do that again? Um... But regardless of Bobrovsky, I think, like, it really does show you that anything can happen. And, and it's just, like, Kachuk here, Matthew Kachuk, has 9 goals and 21 points in 16 playoff games. Like, the closest to him on Florida has 6 goals and 15 points. And he scored 3 overtime winners and, and almost another one, considering that buzzer beater goal. Like, that's so egregious to me. I can't even wrap my head around how good he's been. Um, And yeah, some people were kind of replying to the tweet about Brady seeing this and being elevated and... And if you don't know, Brady's like in attendance, which is against what he said, kind of. And we, we can maybe talk about your tweet there that fired everyone up and what you meant. Maybe you can clarify. On that. What, what, what tweet? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that went, uh, that went crazy. But um, Brady's in attendance. And, and I know he's sad at the end of the season. He's so sick of losing and he wasn't going to go watch Matthew's games and stuff. And now he's kind of there at every game. I think it's just because they made a run and it's kind of like a when will this happen again type thing. Like you never know. Right. So he's kind of taking it all in. Um, but I think Brady watching this, I mean, the Panthers just swept the Hurricanes and got into the Stanley Cup Finals. The Panthers were the eight seed entering the playoffs. Like, I just, that's so, like, it's impressive. And you have to think Brady is sitting there in Florida watching these games thinking how, like, this could be us. This could literally be Ottawa. We were tied with them. And obviously, Ottawa, they, they went through a lot of injuries and we can say whatever we want about the end of their season. I'm just looking forward. I'm looking at next season. Like, if Ottawa can even get in as the eight seed what can happen? I mean, anything like literally just get in the playoffs and you could make the Stanley cup final. It's, it's that simple. You don't need to overthink it. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. There there's, um, I, I mean, it's happened before, right? I think in 2012, the Kings were the eight seed and they swept Vancouver who won the president's trophy. And then they, uh, or beat them in five or whatever it was. And, and obviously go on to win the cup and they were dominant. They were just crazy. Um, and then they won a cup another couple of years later. And like, I, I, I think, this is what's going to be interesting. If the Panthers end up winning it all, and they, they very likely could, like they're 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 hot, obviously. Um, I think that'll make in the last since 2012 when the Kings did it, more eight seeds have won the cup than Presidents Trophy winners, right? Blackhawks in 2013 won the Presidents Trophy in a half year, um, but they won the Presidents Trophy and then they won the cup. Like, I, I'm I'm not advocating for being an eight seed in a in a playoff series, obviously, but like it's true and. I don't know. We can maybe talk about it. would you have expected the Sens to do this? Like, I, I don't, I liked their odds against Boston. I did. I, I think it would have been a good series. We all said that all season. Um, they, they actually surprisingly played well at TD Garden this year. And both scenarios in Boston this season were back to backs for the Sens. Bruins had rest. Like, it was, it was a nightmare schedule for the Sens, but um, I liked them. The, the thing is, like, 
they, they I, I don't know if if they would have they, they wouldn't have done this let's let's like this is a this is a once in a lifetime kind of run like you mentioned with brady in attendance and i'll bring up that tweet i had and it was like look i'm all i i not once in the the thread or the tweet that i made that i suggest that i um don't want brady supporting his family like it would be very hypocritical of me to praise the culture he set in ottawa or helped set um and all the values he brings and, and how he treats everyone like family for me to then go and criticize the guy for supporting his family um i'm gonna clarify what i meant because obviously people didn't really grasp it uh and like i said i don't care about what other fans think of what i think of the captain of the team i cheer for uh quite honestly couldn't care less i do care about the sense fans who think i'm trying to bash on brady kachuk though because that's not happening. And when that happens, eventually, if it ends up happening, I'll see myself out because this guy is a godsend to Ottawa. I'll, I'll make that clear. Um, what I meant, the, the the video I posted was him chugging out of the Wanamaker trophy. It's the PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka was there um, having a good time. He was a little little uh, uh, riled up, it looked like. But um, my my what I meant or what I inferred, and people didn't really read into it, is that I'm, I'm a little bit tired of seeing videos of brady like drinking and having fun and not that he can't do that and i like seeing videos of it it's fun um but i'm thinking back to two years after the 2021 season i think him and norris are on stage singing at heart and crown or something like that and then last season they're at the team you know end of year party he's got his shirt off and bartending like it's all fun it's just like it's now been three years of this where it's him going to his brother's games uh and, and cheering him on and he's making headlines being like, yo, you know, like, and then the media is pushing this narrative on him when they're doing their interviews. Like, you guys got, you guys have this young up and coming team, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be, you know, future is bright. Like, we were saying future is bright in 2021. It's been two years and they haven't made the playoffs. So that's where the tweet was coming from. It's obviously not making, like, you know, criticizing a guy for supporting his family. It's very unique. None of the Kachucks, like, um, Keith Kachuk never made the Stanley Cup final. This is really impressive. It's in Florida. It's a, you know, big, big thing for the family. Um, that's where it was coming from. And that's, that's still what I think. I'm not backpedaling on what I said. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a bit of a long winded answer, but uh, I'm not gonna lie. It did kind of bother me that people thought I was, I was, you know, going after Brady Kachuk for, for just having a good time in general. I just, I meant like it's time for playoffs in Ottawa and I know he knows it. Um, but like you said, I think he's a bit reluctant to be in the spotlight this time, just based on like the headline says there, if you're watching on YouTube, Panthers and Sens were tied on March 3rd. And now the captain of our favorite team, um, of the Sens is just at their games watching. It's just kind of a, it's, it's, it's a, a unique scenario. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to move on, which is what I said in the tweet. I was ready to move on from the, oh, look, the guys are having so much fun. Like, I know they have good fun and I know they're a good vibes team. Um, but it's time for results on the ice is just what I was saying. Yeah, I think, and I think you tweeted this too, but it's different now that it's a division rival. Like now that it's Florida instead of Calgary, it's, it just feels different because this is a team who, although Ottawa doesn't have a rivalry with Florida, like they've never really had any sort of a, a, a you know, butting head scenario with Florida. They are in the same division and they are probably going to have playoff series down the line. It's just bound to happen. Um, I get where you're coming from for sure. Like it's just taken wrong. This is the thing with Twitter is you have to tread so carefully because if you tweet something that's read just a little bit wrong, it gets blown up and quote tweeted and privately quote tweeted and it just goes on and on. 
that thread I posted a clarification thread, which I really shouldn't have done because that was just like whatever. But I looked at it had last time I checked, it had like six quotes, and I looked to check and see what they are. Five of them were hidden. I could only see one. It's like if you're a private Twitter account and you go around quote tweeting everything, like I I don't know, like come on, what's your like you gotta I I just don't understand that. It's like because automatically you think the worst. You think they're just like oh you know this guy's the like he's terrible blah blah blah. But uh, yeah, it's so it's it, it was a it was a big lesson in um don't you know people see what they want to see uh, and and uh, yeah I don't need to explain it anymore I'm I'm sure and if if look if there's sense fans who are listening who still kind of disagree with my take that's fine um, I'm just I, I I'm I'm ready for this kind of fun narrative about the the core um, to take a back step and and just you know, like start objectively kind of looking at this team. Like we're going to have to, we're going to have to talk at some point about trading one of them, just cap world. It's, it's going to happen uh, when Sanderson gets a new deal, like that's going to come. Um, so, so that, I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not trying to like stand on a high ground and say that, Oh, you know, I'm ready for it. you guys aren't kind of thing. But um, I think, I think when new ownership comes in, expectations are going to change. Um, and obviously the players know that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of reiterating a lot of stuff here, but, uh, yeah, needed to get that off my chest because it was, it's, it's hard to just, I don't know what it is, 120 characters, 280 or whatever, hard to kind of get a point across, um, with a bunch of people who are screaming at me for no reason. You're going to have to get that, uh, that Twitter blue subscription. Going. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, but, no but no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it, it's the expectation thing is something I've been pushing for a while that I'm trying to get people on board with because there is kind of that like it's like a split thing where there's the good vibes and then there's the people who are angry that the team still hasn't made the playoffs in six years and I do find myself in the middle because like I love the good vibes I love the having fun I love the partying and the the heart and crown and, and watching these videos and Brady yelling about winning the cup I like all this stuff for sure it's not about not having fun I guess it is kind of tough to say like they don't know that they're going to win because Brady said himself in his year-end press conference like he's tired of being eliminated and he, he wants to win obviously and he's super competitive. Um, but yeah, like we just want to see it on the ice. That, that For me anyway, that's what I want. I just want to see it on the ice, which is why I know they kind of cracked under the pressure this past year when it, when things got a little hot. But my God, this year, like these are intense expectations that I have anyway. I'm saying like it really is playoffs or bust right now. If they do not make the playoffs... I want some serious things to happen. Like I want some serious turnover on the ice and off the ice because it's time to actually show us that you're serious about winning. Yeah, and and I had some people being like, you know, this is why star players don't want to play in Ottawa, and I'm like, come on, I that take to me is ridiculous. the The amount of leverage, or maybe not leverage, but you know, like 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 the the rope. We talked about the rope that DJ and and Dorian have had. How about this core though? I mean. Let's let's I love them. I think they're they're built and they're fun to watch. Great people. They have had a lot of wiggle room here and it's just been all about vibes, like I said. And like again, like we've both been iterating since we've we started this podcast a month ago, like we're we're going to push this narrative that they need to win next season. They need to make playoffs and it's totally reasonable, but I think people just just saying this is why people are this is why no one wants to play in Ottawa. It's like where have you been the last decade? This is literally the easiest Canadian market to play in. It's not even close. So not well, there's, just no, there's not a lot of accountability like in that that's no. inside the organization and, and out like to the media, to everything. 
Um, and we don't want to like, we're not saying anybody in specific. We're just saying in general, yeah. if you look at other markets, it, like there is no accountability in Ottawa. There hasn't been under Eugene and there never was just because like if you tried to, to ask the hard questions or if you tried to say anything, generally you were booted out and you were no longer no longer there so i mean i don't know i don't i don't see how anybody can say that about you if players don't want to come to ottawa i mean there's various reasons for that in the past but i think that that's kind of shifted now with where things are at yeah and 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 again these guys love it here they sign long term for a reason blah 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 but they knew at some point winning was going to be expected and that's now um so and that's kind of what I again. I'm going back to this tweet because it's it's, it's this is a great time. To Did talk you actually about it. say the tweet? What if nobody? What if people didn't see it? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll, uh, I'll read it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll show it the video or whatever for people on YouTube. It's it's just him chugging out of a trophy. Nothing crazy. Like it's it's a fun video and it's with a PGA champion, Brooks Kepka, one of the best golfers in the world. Like it's it's good headlines. Blah blah blah. Like it's it's fun. So I said. I said, I love Brady Kachuk. He's going to be one of the best Ottawa Senators of all time. And then I said, but I'm ready to move on from stuff like this. I know he knows it, but playoffs have to happen for the Senators next season. Right under it. And right away, too, because I, I figured it was, like, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I know I know it was going to cause something. Um, I said, it's fun, and it's, I, love seeing, I still love seeing it, but it feels different with a divisional opponent and it being driven in the conference finals, especially when the Sens and Panthers were tied at the trade deadline. Um, and then I, in one of my replies, I also said, like, I, I'm not bashing him, but I think this is the last year it's going to be accepted. And I went into it with a couple people. It's like with, and with sense fans, if they don't make the playoffs next year and Matthew's in it and you see Brady at his games, just having a good time, which again, he's allowed to do. But like, if they miss the playoffs and he's out in Byward market again, just yelling, we're going to win the cup. I'm going to not react the same way as I did this time. Um, and I think. I think that the last two or I guess three years now, the Sens have started out completely flat, been out of it since the start. Um, I think that this pressure that Brady himself admitted they they got, you know, they folded under the pressure this year. I think when that goes away, the players obviously are are loosely they they play better, less expectations. Um, and I think that softens the blow at the end of the year when they don't make the playoffs. It's like that's why I'm I'm a little bit angry because the last three years it's been oh we finished we finished hot let's go we're gonna roll into next season and do it and two years in a row they haven't so i i don't know again i'm i'm love brady kachuk one of my favorite players in the league even not even just on the sends um it that that's kind of where the tweet came from it's like i feel like i'm in a loop i don't know about you but i feel like i'm in a loop it's bad start good finish fun vibes in the summer looking forward to next year repeat like it's been like that for three years yeah, and I know people too, they say like, well, and, and even the organization, which kind of adds to the frustration a little bit, but they like Pierre Dorian to it, they've said like, well, you know, we were never really trying to win. Like we just started trying to win. It's kind of like, eh, uh, for, for certain years, yes. I think the thing about what you said, it's very accurate about, okay, they finished strong. So then people kind of like let up on their expectations because it's like, oh, well, they, they looked really good for the last couple months. And yeah, they didn't make the playoffs, but they still looked good. We're going to start next season that same way. It's going to be this this good thing. The problem is when they didn't start that way this year, nothing happened. Like they said, we have to start hot. That was so hardly preached. Like everybody in the organization, including the players, the the coach, the GM, all of it um, from the top down said, we have to start hot. And they might have even added in that something will change if they don't start hot at one point. But nothing happened. Like there were no, you can say things, but there were no actual like expectations set where there was accountability involved. So 
this next year, I mean, like if you say we have to start hot and then you are not in a playoff spot halfway through the season, like <laughs> I'm going to be expecting change. And I know, like we said, DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian are probably going to stay just because of the ownership timeline. And that's fine. But my goodness, if they're not competing here halfway through the year or even like at the end of November, I want something to happen because fans have every right to be upset with the way that things have gone, I think. And I think six years, I know it's been a good rebuild. We've we've put in the core in place and it, it looks good moving forward. But like, I don't want to hear the future is bright anymore. And I don't want other markets saying the future is bright for you guys. I think the future is now, which is an ironic thing to say, but I think the future is now. Like it, it literally is time to start applying these things we've been saying and, and this core. And yeah, like Tim Suits is still so young and everything, but guess what? Thomas Shabbat is like 27 and or he's getting there and he's going to be exiting his prime soon. It's time to start winning. I think the contention window, which to me is essentially eight years because that's when Tim is signed for and you build around that, like that starts right now. That starts this year. So a first round exit, whatever, I'll be happy with it. Don't care what they do in the playoffs. Get to the playoffs, earn that, be competitive. That's all we're asking for. And it's it's really not that much to ask for. I don't think. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty achievable goal just to make the playoffs, even as an eight seed. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out again Ian Mendez from the Athletic. I do it every time. It's like our, our ad right now, but um he pushed at the end end of your press conference. He pushed Dorian and you know he he kind of pointed out the the leash that they've both had. He brought he brought up the five-year run of unparalleled success that everyone memed the hell out of, um, which was supposed to be 2021 to 2025. That's what Mr. Melnick put in that report or whatever it was when they uh initially said they were gonna tear it down. He said 2021 to 2025 will be a five-year run of unparalleled success. Um, COVID happened, which definitely delayed it, but Dorian didn't say that. And Ian wrote about it and said he had every opportunity to say that it would have been a completely fine excuse. Like if you said, yeah, you know, the pandemic delayed our plans by two years, I would have accepted that. I honest to God would have, but he didn't. He didn't say that because they know it's not true. This got delayed and they've they've really slowed how this process could have been a lot better um like and i agree with what you said it's been a good rebuild the core is in a good spot contracts are good their play style the people all they are off the ice everything's good um they just don't have the results yet and i'm sure they will come but it, this could have happened a couple years earlier this this absolutely could have happened a couple years earlier so um that's where my frustration kind of stems from i do feel like i've been in a bit of a loop the last few years uh, and, and that's kind of where that tweet was was born out of. But again, I still love Brady supporting his brother. I mean, I'm supporting his brother for God's sake. I think he's going to win the Conn Smythe. Um, and and it's it's it's. I don't want to say it can only mean good things for Brady moving forward, but um, I think Locked On Senators they put out a a graphic of the year to year, um, you know, age wise with Brady and Matthew because Matthew is two years older than him, and it's pretty on par. Uh, with the points per game now Brady has to explode for 105 points next year but he had he had a career high 82 83 this year so um, it's possible but yeah uh, any any more thoughts on just the Panthers and, and maybe facing against Mark Stone we could have a Matthew Kachuk against Mark Stone um, final with, with Vegas if they can close it out obviously if you're listening you'll know if they swept the Dallas Stars um, but but any any last thoughts on the on the Panthers and the Sens kind of that that narrative well, my prediction wasn't so hot about Carolina and, and uh, Dallas in the finals here. Jeez, um, that's kind of crazy, actually, that both could be swept. Wow, what in God's name is going on in these playoffs? Um, I mean, Brady's really close with Mark Stone, too. We know that they like he was at his wedding, and, and like they're good, really good friends, like very close. 
Um, so that would be kind of cool to see. I mean, I'm sure we'd get some more videos of <laughs> of Brady with, with Stone and Matthew and all this other stuff. I don't know. I mean, for me, I have trouble watching the playoffs at this point. I know everybody loves it. I personally just love the Sens. I am, like, ready for the season to come around. I'm ready for the cup to be handed out. Let's get to the draft. Let's get to free agency. Uh, I I think it just comes back to what you said for me, where it's like, I almost don't like watching other teams win, especially the Panthers, just because I feel like it could be Ottawa. In an alternate universe, it could be Ottawa, who's gone on this crazy run, you know, of, of you know, unexpected things. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm fired up for next year. I'm ready to get to October here. Um... I think the signing today we can loop back to that was good. Uh, I think it's a good job by Pierre. I think I'm excited. Like I don't think DJ or Pierre should necessarily be back next year, but I think with this timeline, like it's it's kind of a last shot for them. It, it's just a last shot to prove it. This is the ultimate prove it year for Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith. If it doesn't work, they're gone. They're can probably not even at the end of the year. Probably right through the year. New ownership's going to be announced soon, and they're going to come in with some hot expectations, especially. Like, we're not going to get into all this because we're running pretty long, but um, like the Kimmel brothers, if they end up winning, like they're forward thinking, they've got that that advanced mentality. I think that uh, Pierre and, and I don't know if Pierre or DJ fit that mentality. So um, I'm excited here. I think our next pod, we might have the ownership news if I'm being optimistic. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that's all for me. I think we've kind of hit on everything. Honestly, you might have it right now if if you're listening on the Friday. And, and I hope we do. I hope honestly that... <laughs> I mean, obviously, please listen and, and, and like and subscribe and everything, but I hope the ownership moves drops and, and you don't even have to focus on on uh, what we just talked about. But yeah, the signing was good. Makes me excited for the summer and whatever they're going to do, um, whoever's involved and whoever's in charge. All right, so that's going to do it. Episode 10. It's been 10 episodes of these with some members pods along the way. Uh, and, and so, again, we're really happy about all this. We, we plan on starting in the downtime of the off season so we can kind of ramp up, and I think we're doing just that. So. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to everydaysends.com. Subscribe to the YouTube page uh, and download your podcast anywhere you listen or watch. And we will see you guys on Monday.